Step away from the noise of social media and mainstream news. On Watch in Washington is your place to hear directly from leaders and difference makers in our nation about the issues that face us as believers, families, voters, and people of prayer. Join us for the next 15 to 25 minutes and be inspired, challenged, and encouraged. It's time to fuel up so we can pray and change our nation. And yes, we always pray together. Millions have streamed across our border in this past year. Over 100 attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East. Learn how you can pray for our national security today with Senator Tommy Tuberville. good day today. Thank you for joining us on this first Friday of February. If you can tell, I'm not my usual spot. We're at meetings downtown Washington, D.C. all this week. So many great things are going on across this nation and really across this globe. And it's so great to be a part of all of those. And it's great to be a part of Intercessors for America as we've mobilized prayer and intercession for this nation now for over 50 years. We can say that now, over 50 years. So a scripture that the Lord has put on my heart over these past few days is something I want to do our first all pray with, and it is this verse. Blessed is the nation who declares our God, our Lord. Let's declare that our God is the Lord of our nation. Before we get started today in our prayer time, I want to give you a little alert. Are you ready for this? Vote your values 2024. It's coming up. There's a slide on the screen. Look at all that fun stuff. All way, all sorts of ways for you to interact uh, during this election season. And we'll be giving you all sorts of intercessory intelligence that you will know how to pray specifically for this nation, focusing in on those parts of our country that will make a difference in this election uh, coming up. Hey, we're going to be launching Vote Your Values 2024 in the next month. I'm not going to give you the specific date. You need to watch for it. But our staff are super excited about launching that. Today, as we focus in on praying for national security, we had this topic picked out and planned for a couple of weeks. And as the Lord usually does, he always makes our prayer times so right on the money, the time for you to know how you can best pray. We'll be talking with Senator Tuberville in just a few moments, actually focusing in on the Houthis. Who are the Houthis and what have they done uh, in the Middle East? And in addition to talking about the attacks within the last 24 hours on our U.S. uh, military um, troops. So we're going to be talking about international national security issues uh, with him in just a little bit. But first... I'm so excited for you to meet this man, an incredible man. He has been an incredible leader for the United States, Uh, Ron Vitello. He was the acting director for the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. You know it as ICE. He also was the deputy commissioner of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and he was the chief of the U.S. Border Patrol. If there's a guy that knows what's going on at the border, it's this man. Ron, welcome to you, sir. Thank you, David. I'm grateful to be with you and the intercessors today. I don't know if there is a person 
on the face of this earth that lives in the United States that can speak with such intelligence. You were a part of enforcing our border at so many different levels. And I'm so excited for you to be able to share your insight on exactly what's going on at our border. Uh, before that, though, let's back up just a little bit. So ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, the mission of that agency was when you ran it and still is to stop cross-border crime and illegal immigration that threatens national security. Ron, when you ran the agency, and I believe still today, there are over 20,000 agents, 20,000 officers. What are the missional objectives of ICE? The department was formed in the aftermath of 9-11. The Homeland Security Act directed a number of things for DHS to do. ICE is a component of the Department of Homeland Security, and their job, as you said, is to enforce immigration and customs laws across the United States. Their authority stems from their authority in Title 19, which is all things that cross borders in both directions. Title 21, which is narcotics enforcement legislation, and then the Immigration and Nationality Act, right? Who comes into the United States and what are the terms by which they go there and enforce the laws against people who break our law in bringing bad things or bad people coming into the United States. And so the patriotic men and women who serve on our behalf in ICE, bottom line, they want to protect us. The main components inside of ICE is the Homeland Security Investigations Group. They investigate all things as it relates to Customs and Narcotics Authority in the U.S. Um, little known to most uh, they do a wonderful job of saving children who are being exploited around the world, not just in the United States, but they rescue victims of child exploitation across the globe. There's also an enforcement removal group. It's called ERO. They're the ones that manage deportation cases, transportation, detention, and medical care for people who are in U.S. custody awaiting their opportunity to go in front of an immigration judge. They also have a big team of attorneys that represent you and I in immigration court so that the government's uh, interests are protected. And they also have an internal affairs unit called OPR, uh, which polices those law enforcement officers to make sure that they're doing the right thing and to hold them account when they don't. So it, it is a great agency. I was proud and, and grateful to have led it for a couple of months uh, and nominated by the president to be the director. It was, uh, it was a real nice cap to the end of my career. I retired in 2019 having held that job. Ron, you said a whole lot there, so let's break it down. What does the average day look like for an ICE officer? I know there's a lot of different roles, but what are they doing? What's their intelligence? What are they tracking down? Yeah, field operations in what they call the ERO group, the Enforcement Removal Operations Group. A number of officers do a number of things, but basically they are out managing the cases of people who are on the non-detained docket, which means they have been... Uh, arrested by immigration authorities. They have an opportunity to go see their judge and deportation officers make sure they comply with the terms of their release uh, so that they stay out of trouble. They, they appear when they're required to appear by the judge. And then when they're not, those same officers will go out and find those fugitives from immigration court and bring them in, into custody so that they can have their hearing while they're in detention. They also manage the detention resources. And then they have specific groups uh, who are looking for the worst of the worst, people who are affiliated with terrorism, people who are threats to public safety, 
people who have been committed of serious crimes in the United States, they're out there actively looking for those people because they're not only in the country illegally, but they've done things that make them a danger to the rest of us. So I remember back when you were acting director and all of the negative press about ICE and in the agency. And of course, it was the progressive agenda that we're still seeing played out today. But what's the current morale and how did you manage the morale as you watched all the mainstream legacy media, whatever you want to call it, just really attack our agents? It's unfortunate. It's true that when I was there, many of the people who represent us in Congress and in the House and the Senate got elected on the platform of abolishing ICE. We all know the infamous squad in the House. That was their platform when they got elected. And yeah, it was very difficult. I did the best I could to represent their work, their hard work and dedication to the country, to the public when available. And thankfully, under the last administration, officials like myself got to get on television and tell the story of the men and women of ICE uh, and Border Patrol before that. And it, it was very meaningful when I would visit locations around the country and people would say, hey, boss, we saw you on TV. Thanks for sticking up for us. So we tried really hard to message to them and protect them in certain locations, like in Portland. They took over the, the courthouse. Our offices there, the federal courthouse in Portland was under siege for quite a while. And so reached out directly to those employees, got them an audience with the secretary and made sure that they knew. Uh, but I'll tell you, bottom line, the best morale boost for the men and women of CBP and ICE was a Donald Trump presidency. He hosted us at the White House when we gave awards to our employees. He forcefully talked about having an immigration system that had integrity and securing the border. And that lifted spirits all across the board. Mm. I had the pleasure at one point to be in the Rose Garden in one of those ceremonies when he recognized a number of you. I believe, I think we overlapped at that very event. So let's start out by praying for the morale of our officers that are across this nation. We're going to talk specifically about the lay of the land and the context here in a minute. But Father, I come before you right now. I just lift up the agents of our immigration, the immigration arm of Homeland Security. Father, we, we know, I know many of them firsthand. Ron knows hundreds of them personally. And Lord, they are patriots who care about this nation. So Father, we lift before you their morale. Lord God, may even at this moment as they are uh, out and about doing their daily job, Lord, may you visit them. It seems impossible to pray for 20,000, some that know you, some that don't. But Lord, may you give them a sense of peace and a sense of accomplishment for what they're doing. Ron, you mentioned something just a minute ago, the Enforcement and Removal Operations, ERO. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not sure if you asked 100 U.S. citizens if there were there was an agency within our government that's called enforcement and removal operations that that one would be able to say, yeah, we've got one of those. But how do we not know about this and, and what are they supposed to do? Well, their work is very much behind the scenes, but their main job uh, is to, to perform the duties of a deportation officer. They're all immigration officers, highly trained, highly effective at what they do. But in priority order, in priority subject matter, uh, they are out and about in all of the cities and towns that we live in, 
looking for people who are threats to public safety in every category you can imagine, the worst of the worst. Uh, their job is to find those people and bring them to immigration court or immigration detention. Or if they've already had their day in court and they've been ordered removed by an immigration judge, it's their job to find those folks and send them home on the on behalf of the government, on behalf of immigration enforcement. That's their role in our law enforcement responsibility. So obviously to have a secure border, first of all, you have to have a secure border and not let people in. But then if you do allow people in and you realize that they shouldn't be in the country, whether it's tens of or hundreds or tens of thousands or who knows now when we've seen almost uh, over 3 million come in this past year, how active, like how many people does the ERO actually deport every year? It, it numbers in the thousands. It depends on a number of cycles. I will just say that there's a lot of talk about alternatives to detention. The progressives in the House wanted to abolish ICE. Weak need politicians in Washington want to fund alternatives to detention versus detention. And if you look at the data and you look at what goes on, there's tens of thousands of people who are in the system. There are over 3 million people on the non-detained immigration document in, docket in the United States. That means there are three people in some version of either waiting for their court date, have had their court date and been ordered, or waiting for a decision from the judge. And so there's a lot of work for them to do. We are flying airplanes all over the world from the United States, sending people back to every continent in the, on the planet. And so there's lots of that work being done. As I said earlier, it's done behind the scenes. It is necessary. And in the right jurisdictions, in a place where there isn't sanctuary for illegal aliens who are also criminals, they work very closely with their state and local counterparts. Uh, when they make arrests of people who are in the country illegally, who've committed other crimes, there's a coordination there that allows when that person receives the justice that they're given by their local community, they turn those folks over to our ICE ERO officers to have them removed from the country. Definitely something we could be praying about. And, and so you talked about cycles and there's political cycles and cycles of elected officials and cycles of even leadership within uh, Border Patrol. Is the activity and effectiveness of ERO affected differently today versus like when you were running it? Yes. And I might not have been as clear about that as I should have been. Detention equals removal. The 95% of everybody who is in detention throughout their stay in the United States illegally typically get removed. It's about the reverse. If they're on the non-detained docket, about 5% of those people every year get removed from the United States. And when I was in the leadership at ICE, when I was the acting director, we had 55,000 detention beds, as we call them, across the country, right? So the capacity to hold 55,000 people every single day who are in the country illegally facing deportation proceedings. Uh, right now, under this administration, we, have, we are funded for 25,000 detention beds, so less than half. And those beds are less than 30% full at this moment. So the removal numbers for the next, for the last three years and the, and the upcoming year will be well below the, the average of what has happened over the last couple of decades, certainly since the department was created. This particular administration cares little to nothing about border security and their actions. What you fund is what you care about, and they're not funding detention beds uh, around the United States. And the secretary himself, you don't have to take my word for it. 
The secretary himself has made public statements which do not help our people at the border. He has said that if ICE is, if, if you are an illegal alien in the United States, then the, ICE is not going to be looking for you. He's deprioritized the illegal traffic across the border because I'm, I'm sure I don't know why. I don't have the, the, the imagination for why we would do something so terrible. But that's, those are his public statements. You don't have to take my word for it. So I'm going to throw out some round numbers. I know I'm not exact, but when you were running the agency, we had about 400,000 illegals come across the border. This past year, we had 3 million. When you were running the agency, we had 55,000, I think is the number you just quoted, of 55,000 beds, spots for people to be deported. That number is now half when we have 10 times more illegals coming into the nation. Do I have the math approximate? That's correct. And the symptom of that or the reaction or the, or the outcome of that is that when CBP, my former colleagues in the Border Patrol, arrest people who cross the border illegally, uh, they are by law to be detained mandatorily. Uh, that's been the law since, I think, 1996. Um, but there are no resources that are being utilized for those detentions and so the secretary, again, his words, not mine, 85% of the encounters, those 3 million people that CBP has, has encountered uh, were on pace for more than that this year, uh, 85% of them have been released into the United States. That is an enormous threat because we know within that group, even if a small percentage of that 3 million want to do us harm, that's a lot of people with evil intent in their hearts. And so if we're releasing 85% of everybody that's encountered, that also encourages other people to come that might not otherwise. And it's also enriching the cartels, which are in the business of human misery. They're in the business of bringing poison across our border. They're in the business of exploiting these migrants in their journey in a number of ways. Uh, But human trafficking and sex trafficking and assault on young women is part and parcel of their trade, and they're being enriched by this endless flow of humanity. And think about organized crime in the United States. We've all heard of the scourge of MS-13, which is in a number of cities in the United States. New York and Northern Virginia, where I live, uh, is one of the hot spots for their activity. They now have an endless supply of recruits coming across the border every 24 hours. Ron, I know your faith in Christ is bedrock to all that you do. Talk about how a man of God processes all of this and the leadership roles that you played. I give this example and when I'm out there talking to voters. For a while, at the end of my career, I had really nice offices. You can see some of the icons that people have given me to commemorate my career or things that I've done. And you can't show it here on camera because it just won't, it won't work right. But the highest spot on the wall in this office and every office that I've had the pleasure of serving in the highest spot on the wall is reserved for the Ten Commandments. And so I am a, a, a man of deep faith. I care very much about other people. And in, in the work that I did and in the men and women that I served alongside, compassion for the people we encounter is paramount. Uh, imagine when you know somebody has sold all of their belongings, given it to a smuggler, been abused or worse on this journey to come into the United States. Uh, They come from a place, in in most cases, where they can't trust law enforcement. Uh, They come from this journey when where law enforcement took advantage of them, graft and corruption all the way through. 
Um, they've been manhandled by smugglers and worse. And so when you make that arrest, when you make that encounter, you have to have a compassion for where they live in that moment. And my faith would call me that to that anyway, but seeing that example of my colleagues is inspiring as well. Ron, I know that the rule of law is really at the base of your intent and expressed through the Ten Commandments. Can you lead us in prayer right now along those lines that we would be a nation that has a strong sense of the rule of law and implements a moral code that our eternal one has given us? And after you pray, then we'll unleash the lines and have everybody pray with you. Amazing. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, our Lord of hosts, we thank you for this day. We come before you with humble hearts, acknowledging your sovereignty and grace. We thank you for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We ask that you offer a hedge of protection for all of the men and women in uniform who protect and serve us around the United States and around the globe. We pray through this intercession and the intercessions of many, that America gets back to its law and order roots. It gets back to the spirit of doing the right thing, the golden rule, and recognize that a rules-based society is one in which we all will flourish, especially the faithful. In this and all things, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all pray with Ron Vitello. All participants are unmuted. May the intercession instill in others the passion for justice, mercy, and peace. May we all be advocates for the oppressed and marginalized. May our voices be heard for those who are voiceless. Father, we know that you have created all authority with the intent, as it says in Romans 13, to protect the innocent from the evildoer. And Father, as Ron has prayed for our nation to be a nation that enforces law, that enforces the rule of law, that enforces your moral code through expressed through the work of the scriptures. Lord, we pray that you would move in our day. We ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ron, one last question for you. There's much talk right now about reform of our immigration system. There really hasn't been much reform, I think you said, since 96, I think is when there was some um, we can blame both parties for where we're at because there has not been any, any movement. Interpret where we are in the potentials of reform and what you think is the momentum, if any, for immigration reform. I think the momentum that exists is based on the impacts of this large wave of humanity, not just at the border. We see all, we all see those images, but you have these big cities, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Boston now making headlines about the influx and the people that don't have a place to live. They can't find work in the United States. And so there is a growing concern that's not just border-based or it's not just based on what goes on the border, but the impacts of this large wave of illegal migration. I will tell you, though, that I'm not helpful 
I'm not hopeful, I'm sorry, uh, about where we're going on the political side as it relates to reform or some kind of fix. I'll also say that if this administration really cared about us in America, they could fix this problem on their own. You'll remember that when Donald Trump became the president, we had historic lows in the first couple of months of his presidency. No laws were changed. People stayed home that would be migrants otherwise because they knew there was a new sheriff in town and that immigration policy was likely to change. Unfortunately, it didn't change and we got a surge into that summer, uh, but that surge was ended by career people like me advising the president how to fix that problem. And it was largely fixed. 45 year lows in illegal migration at the border um, at the end of the Donald Trump presidency. And now we've seen the worst surge ever. And so if our current president cares much about the border as the previous one, he could fix this problem. He could start to fix it. And that maybe then would turn this momentum and angst into some real reform and some of the systemic problems we have with people who are abusing the asylum system, which has been a problem for quite some time. But if we wanted to control what was going on in the border, if we wanted to give the front line of DHS a fighting chance, if you will, to do their jobs, uh, the president doesn't need legislation for that. He needs the will to do it. And so that's one thing we could pray for, because I don't see a, a bright spot in regards to where this administration is on this problem. Hmm. Ron, I know we've got a transition. I'm so grateful for your time with us today. And more than that, uh, we're grateful for your service to this nation. You gave your career to the protection of our border, which is biblical. God sets the boundaries of nations, and that was your mission. And I don't know how you retired. You don't look way anywhere close enough to being retired. So I know you got some things afoot. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to unleash the lines, everybody. And I want you to pray for this man who's over here on the screen next to me. And I want you to pray that every plan, every destiny that God has for Ron Vitello, every new adventure that he has coming up, that he would be able to maximize that. And God would use him more so today than he ever has in the past. Everybody pray for Ron Vitello. Let's all pray. All participants are unmuted. <laughs> All participants are muted. So, Father, we release every plan, every destiny for this man. Father, may he see an acceleration. May he see favor in ways that he's never seen. May he see connections uh, produce fruit in this day, in this stage of his life. Lord, we're grateful for his service to the nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ron, as we we're praying there, I, I snuck out of one eye. I opened it, and there was down in the lower third. Thank you, Ron, for being a gatekeeper. Thank you. You had thousands of people pray for you right there. So I, I hope that you were encouraged. I'll give you the, give you the last word. Oh, I'm, I'm very grateful for those kind prayers. Uh, I'm grateful to be with you and share a little of my story today. And 
Godspeed, literally, for all the work that the intercessors will do. I'm very inspired by it. So thank you. Thanks, Ron, and certainly stay in touch with us on all the things that we could be praying for you that you're a part of. Know that you've got an instant prayer force behind you. All right? Thank you, David. God bless you today. As we now transition from domestic national security issues, we're going to be uh, focusing the last bit, uh, last third or so of our time, focusing in on international issues. And a couple of uh, days ago, I had the opportunity to, to record the segment you are about to see with uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville. And it's interesting, the Lord put on my heart to ask him uh, about the, who are the Hooties and what's the whole story with them? You've seen them in the news. What are the Hooties, right? And since then, we've had a number of attacks on U.S. soldiers and, and military uh, operations in the Middle East from the Hooties, even in the last 24 hours. Senator Ville was first Coach Tuberville. That's where a lot of us guys know him from his Auburn days. Is that right? I'm going back in my head a little bit there. Back to my FCA days where I worked with some of his staff. Anyways, he's been serving Alabama since 2021 when he beat an incumbent senator. Not that easy to do. He's a believer in Christ, staunchly pro-life and proud not to be a part of the political mindset. He serves in the said Armed Services Committee, among others, and that's the focus of my questions to him today. We have two segments. Let's go ahead and roll the first recorded segment. Senator, lately we've been hearing much about the Houthis and how they've been attacking U.S. military forces around this globe. As a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, can you tell us who they are, what they're trying to accomplish, and who's funding the Houthis? Yeah, the Houthis are a terrorist group funded strictly by Iran, and they're in the northern part of Yemen. There's kind of two sections of Yemen. You have one side that's, that's not radical. That's the southern side. They have most of the oil. Their government is there. But you have a terrorist group on the northern side, which is the side of Africa. And it's also the side of the Red Sea. They pretty much control the, the entrance of the Red Sea on the side of northern side of Yemen. So that's the Houthis. The Houthis, again, are a terrorist group that they make their money by fighting and doing Iran's dirty work around that area. Now, they've been fighting and shooting missiles in Saudi Arabia for, oh, several years now. And that's been an ongoing battle. But recently, as we all noticed, Yemen or the Houthis have got involved in the Red Sea with the trade that's going in and out of the Red Sea up through the, through the Suez Canal. And anything that is transported possibly to Israel or has anything to do with the West, it has some kind of attack coming from the Houthis in Yemen. And so we have started, finally retaliated and started shooting missiles into Yemen on the northern uh, sector at the Houthis, trying to knock out their radar systems and some of their missile systems. We, it was, this also was done back in 2014 and 15. I don't know how effective it will be, uh, but we surely don't want to put troops on the ground because it's very mountainous. Uh, we've had other countries go in to try to fight the Houthis, and it hadn't been successful. It'd be like going into Afghanistan again. And I know recently we've lost a couple of two servicemen in the fight against the Houthis. 
Now, I've also read that the Houthis have joined Hamas in the attack on the state of Israel. What are they doing there? What's their motivation to join Hamas and attack Israel? Hamas has got a, a lot of backers now. They have Iran, obviously, that's backed them for years. Actually, they've probably spent a lot of money. We have spent a lot of money in Gaza, taxpayer, American taxpayer dollars that have gone into Gaza that probably has circumvented the Palestinians and gone into Hamas to use for building tunnels, building things that uh, we're having, Israel's having a problem now with of trying to find the hostages. But again, you've got Hezbollah, you've got Hamas, and you've got the Houthis. And they're all intertwined, but they all have their certain regional areas. I wouldn't be surprised if you have some Houthis that have gone into Israel at times, possibly also some Hezbollah, maybe even some people from Iran. But it is a huge problem that's continued to build. What, what has happened now is you have the entire Arab nation, Muslim nation, that are starting to turn on Israel. Now, I think a lot of this had to do with President Trump's Abraham Accords. He had built a lot of goodwill from the Arab people to the to the Jewish people in Israel. He had built a pack and the, from day one, Joe Biden, his administration has been totally against that. And it's probably caused a lot of this to happen in terms of Biden's foreign policy, how he's handled the Abram Accords, and also how he's handled Iran. We've been very soft on any attack on Americans. And it started with Af Afghanistan and now we have true appeasement from this administration that has not really hit back on the people that have really attacked us. And that's not how we handle it here in the United States of America. Yeah. Our, our folks have been praying for you and watching you as you've battled to protect the, the rights of the unborn by not using taxpayer dollars, uh, military funding to go and provide abortions uh, for military members. And Senator, as I was doing some part of this process, you held up the promotions of uh, some officers. And of course, that's what's hitting hit the press so widely. Senators, I did some research on these many of these officers that you held promotions on. It was amazing to me to see that so much of their resume and so many of their accomplishments seem to focus in on, on diversity and inclusion. So here's my question, Senator. What, what threat does the woke agenda prove to be against the United States and potentially damage our military and our nation? Yeah, we can look at all the problems that's going over in, the, in, in other countries, other continents, and there's all kind of small battles going on. I think the biggest threat to the United States of America is America itself, people with inside America. We have lost a lot of our institutions to this DEI. I'm talking the FBI, the CIA. We have been infiltrated in our higher education and secondary education in this country of this wokeism. Uh, now, being on the Armed Services Committee, I have seen since the Biden administration has come in, the things that have happened within our military. Now, we're losing recruits. And why are we losing recruits? We're short, we have the smallest military in many years. And the reason for that is because we do not have young men and women that want to, want to get into a woke military. 
because that's the direction it's headed. Uh, in years past, 48% of the recruits that went into the military were from legacy families, from fathers or mothers that were in the military. It's down to almost 20% now because these parents that have gone through the military and seen how our military has changed, it's changed for the worse, not for the better. Now, we do have some good military people that, that really love this country, but we also have a lot of people within the military that are trying to destroy the great military that we've had in the past. So we have to be careful with what's going on. We have to hold people accountable. People should get promotions because of merit, of the things that they've done, not be given anything. And we need the best. I hear all the time about we need more diversity. Let me tell you something. There's no second place in war. There's only a first place. We need the best military this world has ever seen because it's the most dangerous time in all of our lifetimes. And we're going the opposite direction when we want to have the best military. We're not going in the direction we need to be going. And that's the reason we need a commander-in-chief like President Trump to be back in the White House to control what's going on with this woke military that's starting to happen. As we're back live, we'll have another segment with Senator Tuberville in just a moment. But let's stop and do an all-pray as we, as he was talking, the Lord brought to my mind Psalm 91, especially the last two verses that say, He will call on me, we will call on God, and I will answer him. He will answer us. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. As we go to prayer for our nation against terrorism today, Let's call out to our Lord that he would be with us in this time of trouble. So, Father, we come before you. And, Father, we are aware that there are forces, and I'll say demonic forces, all across this globe that are wanting to attack the United States of America because of the role that we play in protecting freedoms across this globe. And so, Father, I pray for our military. Lord, I pray for a strong military. Lord, a military that understands the reality of the forces that are coming against them and that they would see before anything ever happens how they can protect our nation. Lord, I think of the the attacks even in the last 24 hours, 48 hours upon the U.S. servicemen. Father, I pray for protection for them. Father, I pray for insight. Lord, I pray for systems that work in order to shut down these attacks on our U.S. military. Lord, we ask you this in the name of Jesus. Let's continue on. We have one last recorded segment with Senator Tuberville. I think you'll enjoy his insights on this. Let's roll the segment. Senator, as a way to know how to pray for you in your role as Senator on the Armed Services Committee and all the other uh, positions that you play and all the other work you do in our Senate, uh, I'd love to read John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5 to you, and could you interpret uh, what that passage means to you as a way for us to know how to pray? And the passage, John 1, verses 4 to 5 says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. How can we be praying for you in light of that verse, Senator? The big thing is in in our business, there's a lot of ups and downs. 
and there's a lot of good times and there's a lot of bad times. We're fighting for this country in Washington, D.C. A lot of people are. And there's a lot of dark times. I was basically had to give up my promotions, hold on promotions and holding up taxpayers paying for abortion in the military because people just weren't strong enough. They couldn't stand up to the wokeism that was coming in. I'm not talking about Democrats. I'm talking about Republicans. I was circumvented by the Republican Party here where I had a dozen or so that basically said, you need to change or we're going to go around your holes and do it another way. We all need prayers. We all need to be prayed for. This is a very tough time, but it's a tough time when a lot of people aren't watching. There's a lot of people watching what we do, but there's also times when people aren't interested or uh, up to the fact of the things that we're fighting behind the scenes. So we need prayers for 24 hours of things that are going on while we're working, while we're behind the scenes, while we're in committee meetings. We need, need prayers. Mm. We're going to do just that for you right now. I want to invite all those that are watching this live or watching this recorded in the days to come to join me in praying for Senator Tuberville. So Father, we come before you right now. Lord, we ask you that the power of your Holy Spirit would come upon this man, that he would be used by you to expose darkness by the power of your light. Lord, as he has asked for prayer for things that he knows about, things that he doesn't know about, for things we know about, the things that we don't know about. Father, you know about them. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh upon this man and that you would use him greatly in this day. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. As we're back live, I want to invite you to all pray for our elected officials right now, for the things that we will never know about, for the forces that they are fighting, for the committees that are going on, for the intelligence arm of the United States of America. As we wrap up today, I want to let you know about something that has been going on in our nation over the last week, 10 days, maybe two weeks now. I think we've got a slide for this. It is Take Back Our Border, Take Our Border Back Convoy, Peaceful Assembly in Prayer. We have created a prayer guide for this initiative that we are supporting in prayer. We're in touch with the leaders of this convoy. We're not working with them in any particular official manner, but we've been in contact with them and they've asked us to specifically pray. Pray for peace. That's what they're asking us. I think if you were on our webcast yesterday on Chris's webcast, we mentioned some intelligence that we've received that there are potential bad actors on the Mexican, the southern side of the border, that will attempt to come in and potentially disrupt the prayer assemblies that are happening in, in Eagle Pass and a couple of other places. And so we know that the enemy would want to come in and stir things up, and then mainstream media would paint it in a, those events in a negative light. We've seen that before in our recent history. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer for the, the convoy and the peaceful assemblies in prayer. They are saying that these assemblies are prayer for the United States. And I know that some of you who are in Eagle Pass and other places 
where these uh, assemblies are happening. I, I know that you're planning on going and we want to encourage you to go and pray and intercede for those for those assemblies. Father, we come before you right now, Lord. We lift before you the organizers of these events, the uh, rallies, the assemblies that started yesterday will be happening today and will be happening tomorrow, ending tomorrow. Father, we pray that, Lord, that you would host your angels at the four corners of those events. Lord, that you would protect those assemblies so that they would be peaceful, that they would be prayerful. Father, we pray that any attempt for the enemy to bring in confusion or even violence, Lord, that you would stop it. Lord, we plead the powerful blood of Jesus Christ over these events. Father, we pray for these men and women who are part of the convoy, who will be a part of the assemblies. And Father, we pray that you would give them divine insight to know what to say and to and how to pray, Lord, that our borders would be protected and that our national security would be protected. Father, grace, peace. Lord, we pray for grace and peace to be dispatched to these assemblies. Father, again, we lift these leaders up to you. Lord, we lift before you every person will, who will stand behind the podium and take the microphone. Lord, that you would season their words with grace and peace and calmness, O oh God. Father, I pray for the thousands and thousands of participants that have been and will be a part of these convoys, Lord. May you give them a sense that they are making a difference and may what they do actually make a difference for our nation. Lord, we're so grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today, this first Friday of February, as we've prayed for national security. So grateful for Ron Vitello. I tell you, what an impressive guy. God's got his hand on that man and watch for him in the news. Such an articulate spokesperson for issues of immigration. We're so grateful for Coach Tuberville, Senator Tuberville, and all that he means for our nation and for the stands that he has taken in his views to battle wokeism in the military and in our nation. Again, Join us every Tuesday, every Thursday as our staff gather you all together to pray. If you don't get our alerts, sign up. People love them. we got the best open rate that I ever heard of all of our email alerts. Our staff work tirelessly to put those together. And don't forget, sometime in the next four weeks, get ready. Vote Your Values 2024. Yeah, there it is up on the screen. Doesn't that look fun? Look at all those things that you can click on and participate in and Join in the community of people praying for our nation during this election. You're going to be hearing also very shortly, we've been meeting with some international folks uh, here in D.C. about the importance of elections across the globe this year. There are more elections than any other time, I think it's been said, in history of countries who have elections all aligned this year. And so there is a great balance of power globally. And of course, we feel it in the United States. You'll be hearing more about all of that coming up. Hey, until we're able to be together again, God bless you. May he grant you effective intercession.
Thanks for joining us on Intercessors for America's On Watch in Washington. Be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And share the word. We bet you have a praying friend who would love to listen to. Visit ifapray.org to access our library of free content, including prayer guides, special intel reports, articles, news, and items for action. We're glad you're a part of the IFA community.